Hello, I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank. The Federal Reserve had hiked interest rates by 75 basis points, the largest increase at a meeting since 1994. What are the implications for ASEAN? And as food inflation remains a concern, is the crisis nearing its peak? Meanwhile, a country that is in the headlines is Laos, hit by a currency depreciation, surging inflation and fewer shortages, will Laos default on its debts? Head of Fixed Income Research, Vincent Poon, discusses these issues in this weekly briefing. Hi, good morning everyone. It's 8 o'clock on Monday. A quick recap for last week. The US Fed Reserve raised interest rate by 75 BIP, the biggest increase at a meeting since 1994. Global sell-off in risk assets deepened, on fears of high inflation and aggressive central bank tightening. There were signs of flight to cash. The amount of overnight cash at the Fed repo facility reached another all-time high at 2.23 trillion. The S&P 500 index fell 5.8%. Euro stocks 50 down 4.5%. Japan's Nikkei down 6.7%. And in ASEAN, stock indices were down by between 2 and 5%. The only bright spot was China where the Shanghai Composite Index increased 1% last week. A Bitcoin plunged below 20,000 before recovering. The Bloomberg Galaxy Index, which measures the broad performance of crypto assets, has fallen by more than 30% in June alone. On fixed income, there was some divergence. G4 sovereigns outperformed credits. Credit spreads widened, especially in the high-yield sector. The US corporate high-yield spreads widened by a substantial 64 bit to more than 500. The US Treasury yield curve um, 210 inverted again last week, following the first inversion in March. The Fed fund futures currently are pricing in US interest rate to go up to 3.8% at the peak over the next 12 months. That means almost an additional 200 bit of increase uh, before expecting a cut uh, from second half of 2023. A central bank meetings last week, in addition to the Fed, we also had the Bank of England which hiked rate by 25 bit. The Swiss National Bank surprised the market with a 50 bit increase, the first in 15 years. But the Bank of Japan kept its policy rate unchanged and maintained the yield curve control, resisting pressures to tighten. The dollar yen FX spot, already the weakest currency among G10 and Asian currency this year, increased further to 135, which is the highest since 1998 during the Asian financial crisis. On energy prices, oil prices fell the most in three months. Uh, West Texas Intermediate was down by about 7% last week to $110 per barrel on concerns that economic downturn may reduce fuel consumption. Other commodity prices also fell last week, like aluminium, copper, nickel, and iron ore, down by between 5 and 9% last week. And the U.S. housing market uh, was showing signs of weakening. Uh, the 30-year mortgage fixed rate jumped to almost 6%, which is the highest since 2008, and almost double from uh, 3% in just uh, third quarter last year. The U.S. housing starts declined 14% last month, and building permits dropped by more than forecast. On U.S.-China relationship, it was reported that President Joe Biden may be talking to President Xi Jinping soon with focus on U.S. tariffs imposed on Chinese goods by the Trump administration. Looking ahead this week, key economic data to watch out for uh, include central bank meetings uh, for Philippines and Indonesia. And we have CPI data uh, for Malaysia, Singapore, the UK and Japan. 
And this morning, we have Sohaimi uh, to comment on US FOMC meeting outcome and Malaysia external trade. Have been on a special report, ASEAN X Macro, about food inflation. Joey on Indonesia exports, Brian on Laos default risk, Sutai on Singapore REIT, Savvy on Philippines property, and Cheating on regional plantation. And let's start with uh, Sohaimi. Uh, Sohaimi, the US FOMC meeting uh, last week, rate height 75 bit. Was it necessary? Uh, what are the key takeaways in your view from the uh, from the meeting and your expectation going forward? Hi, uh, morning, Winston. Morning, everyone. So, um, Fed has been raising interest rates by progressively larger quantum uh, in the past three meetings: seventy-five basis point last week, after fifty bips uh, last month, and twenty-five bips in March. I think they're forced to do so because they are behind the curve vis-à-vis -vis inflation over there that is stubbornly high, at well over. Uh, 8%. Um, several key takeaways from last week FOMC. Uh, first, for next FOMC meetings on 26-27 July, uh, Fed Chairman Powell indicates 50 bips to 75 bips hike. Uh, secondly, the latest Fed's uh, dot plot signal another 175 basis point hikes uh, in interest rate for the uh, remaining um, uh, four FOMC meetings this year thus pushing the Fed fund rate target range to 3.25% to 3.5% by end 2022 from current 1.5% uh, to 1.75%. And the latest dot plots also indicate uh, Fed fund rate peaking at 3.75% in 2023 uh, before dropping to 3.375% uh, in 2024. Fed also made some adjustment in its uh, macro forecast. Uh, it raised its 2022 inflation rate forecast to 5.2% from 4.3% back in March, but uh, trimmed by about 0.1 percentage point, the inflation rate forecast for uh, 2023 and 2024 to 2.6% and 2.2% respectively. Uh, Fed bumped up its unemployment rate forecast this year to 3.75% to 3.9% next year and 4.1% in 2024 uh, respectively from the uh, rather tight range of 3.5-3.6% uh, 2022-2024 previously. And for GDP, uh, growth forecasts are trimmed to sub-2%, 1.7% in this year and next year, and 1.9% in 2024. So that's uh, down from 2.8% uh, in this year, 2.2% next year, and 2% in 2024 uh, previously. Any impact on ASEAN central banks? Do you think more pressure to hike rate faster? Um, with, with Fed front-loading its interest rate hikes and sending Fed fund rate to higher peak level than the last cycle of 2.5%. So we see hawkish pivots among uh, ASEAN central banks. Uh, central banks of Philippines, I think, signaled interest rate hikes this month in August following the 25 basis point increase to 2.25% uh, last month. So um, they are penciling in a total of 75 basis point increase uh, at this point of time, consistent with our forecast currently for uh, this year. But we do acknowledge there is upside risk of front-loading given the signal by BSP on its near-term uh, policy rate trajectory. And uh, our Thailand economist, Joey, also revised forecast on Bank of Thailand's benchmark interest rates now expecting 50 bips hike to 21% uh, by end of um, 
2022 another 50 bips increase next year to 1.5% compared with previous forecast of 25 bips hike this year and 50 bips hikes next year. And for Bank Negara, uh, Malaysia, following the 25 bips hike in May, MPC, uh, we now expect 25 bips hike in the next MPC in July with the prospect of another 25 bips by end of uh, this year to raise OPR to 2.5% versus our previous view of just another 25 bips hike later this year to 2.25%. But we do maintain our forecast of OPR reaching 3% uh, next year. Um, so, I mean, also Malaysia released the trade data last week. It looks like the exports in May was still strong. Um, which sectors were driving the growth and what is our outlook for the second half? The export growth in May picked up to 30.5% year-on-year compared with April uh, 21% year-on-year. In April-May 2022, export rose 25.4% year-on-year, even firmer than uh, first quarter growth of 22%. Um, I think this uh, 10th consecutive month of double-digit export growth uh, reflect continued double-digit growth in manufacturing exports, which uh, increased by 27% in May compared with April 17%. Uh, this is a made continued robust E&E exports, which uh, jumped to 45% uh, year-on-year in May compared with April's growth of 27.5%. There's also the surge in agriculture exports, up 44% in May after the growth of 30% in April. And mining export is still uh, running at a robust pace of 55% in May uh, after the 64.5% growth in April. So Malaysia's export are benefiting from surge in commodity prices and robust tech export such that, you know, of the growth of 23.5% exports in the first five months of this year, Palm oil, energy, and crude oil contributed to 23% of that, and E&E accounted for another 48%. As for the outlook, uh, rest of the year, we are mindful of the impact to global economic and trade growth from the uh, inflation risk due to commodity price surge following the Russia-Ukraine war. That comes with downsides to Europe's economic outlook. Uh, there's also the supply chain disruptions from China's lockdown as well as US-led uh, global interest rate hikes. Even if year-to-date numbers suggest no major damage to Malaysia's exports to Europe, China and US, but uh, we do expect some moderation in export growth in second half of this year, uh, likely uh, I think around uh, low to mid-teens from where we are now. Thanks, Suhaimi. I will move to Habin. Habin, you have a big report on food inflation, which is a hot topic currently with rising protectionist measures as governments seek to ensure the availability and affordability of food. What are your findings and what is the impact on ASEAN countries? Hey, hi, morning, Winston. So I think, you know, um, as you all know, good food prices have risen quite a bit, up to 5% just in the first five months of this year. And that extends the 28% increase last year. I guess we'll make four points um, on the concerns about food prices. One is actually when you look at ASEAN in the scheme of things, inflation is actually not, um, not too high. It's about 4.2% in April, because when you compare to Europe, food inflation is about 9%, US is close to 10%. And of course, when you look at emerging economies closer to Ukraine, Turkey, 91%, Sri Lanka, 45%, uh, Russia, 21%. You get the point, you know, the ones that are closer 
and also um, uh, are, are affected more by what's happening. So in the scheme of things, uh, when you look at the, the, you know, the spectrum of inflation, Thailand is the highest now 6.2, but Vietnam is just 1.3. You know, I think there's a point that some of the uh, big food exporters are in ASEAN. Uh, there are also some price controls. There are also some few subsidies, which has helped to um, keep the food inflation in check. I think second, the interesting highlight is actually the very high correlation between energy prices and food prices. Because if you think that, for example, climate was a big driver of food prices, you might expect a poor correlation between the two. You know that you know, climate drives more food. Yeah, doesn't seem to be as big a factor for energy. But the correlation is actually about 0.88. Yeah, that's extremely high. So it's suggesting to us that rising oil prices has been a more powerful driver of food inflation than extreme weather conditions. Of course, this could change as climate change intensifies. Uh, but just show that you know, oil is a very important input what is planting, harvesting, or transport. Um, you know, things like a cereal is very energy intensive. And of course, there's an argument about biofuels, right? Um, whether it's sugar in India or, or palm oil in Malaysia and Thailand, we use a substitute you know, when oil prices rise. Uh, but that, that high correlation means that as, food, as oil prices come down, food prices should also come down. You know? uh, and there are signs that oil prices seem to be stabilizing. The third point is to compare this uh, food crisis to the one in 28 and uh, 09. And that episode, if you recall, um, was driven by rice. Uh, rice took center stage, Vietnam and India imposed export restrictions, and rice prices actually quadrupled you know, during that time. Uh, a bit crazy, but it was really concentrated about rice. But this time around, we think that an export rice ban from India, Vietnam, or Thailand is actually quite unlikely. They're some of the biggest exporters. And that's thanks to ample rice reserves as well as good monsoon season. So that should cushion the oil price, I mean the food, the food price impact. Uh, this time the protectionist measures is on you know, other stuff, as you know, it's on palm oil, Indonesia, wheat, you know, in from India, sugar from India, chicken, Malaysia. Um, and export restrictions have cut off about 17% of the global food trade. Um, so that's that's about the same magnitude as the 2007 food crisis. That was the trigger for the Arab Spring uh, uprising, which also toppled some governments. So something to watch, you know, um, says in sort of risk in Saudi other countries where food inflation has gone through the roof. But the other restriction is actually on fertilizers. And fertilizer export restrictions by China, and that started in September last year in Russia, have actually cut off about 20% of the global fertilizer trade. So that's something, um, you know, if it, it relaxes, that could uh, bring down uh, food prices. The fourth point is actually, ASEAN countries are actually uh, big food exporters in general, right? So net food exporters are very large for Myanmar, close to 6% of GDP, Thailand, 4%, Malaysia, 2.5%, Indonesia, 2.3%. So in the scheme of things, you can capitalize on a food price boom. It should actually be good for exports, good for you know, growth. It's negative for the Philippines. Uh, of course, there are some impediments. The shortage of migrant workers is, however, constraining Thailand and Malaysia from fully capitalizing on a food price boom. Uh, Habin, you mentioned in the report there are signs the global food crisis may be nearing its peak. Can you explain why? So we were worried that this could get worse, um, but looking at some of the metrics, um, there's a chance that this uh, that the food price, I mean the global food crisis may be near its peak. I mean we think that prices will stay elevated, but the food inflation, that's the rate of change in prices, could come down. Uh, it looks as if fertilizer prices have started to fall. 
Uh, it started falling in May, so high prices may have led to demand destruction. There are reports of glut of fertilizers in Brazilian ports. The other good news is actually Russia. Um, yes, Russia is extending the quotas on some of the nitrogen and complex fertilizers uh, from 1st of July this year to the rest of the year. But the quota now is around 40% higher for nitrogen fertilizers, 11% higher for complex fertilizers. So I think they also need to export revenue. Uh, and they're actually going to lift the export ban on uh, ammonium nitrate fertilizers. Uh, China is the other one to watch because uh, you know China's had fertilizer export restrictions since, uh, since uh, September last year. And that's scheduled to end in June. Uh, but uh, well, we can't decide whether the ban may be extended because the, the domestic prices of fertilizers is still fairly high in, uh, in China. Uh, good news that Indonesia has lifted the ban on palm oil exports. It fired the trade minister, uh, I think, for that flip-flop. And Malaysia's chicken ban, we think, will likely be short-lived. And of course, the good news is that rice prices are stable. Ample supply will help to contain the food pressure. Reopening of borders will allow foreign workers to return to farms and plantations, easing some of the labor shortages. And of course, we've got to, we cannot forget the high correlation between global growth and commodity prices. So global growth will stabilize energy prices, maybe bring it down, and that should also cool food commodity prices. I've been on a separate topic. Um, with aggressive Fed rate hike, what do you think is the implication on Singapore interest rate? So as Suami as Suami has highlighted in the latest dot plus suggests. You know, the Fed's going to hike by another 175 basis point this year to 3.5%, 3.7% possibly next year. So we had to raise our three-month cyber forecast quite, quite sharply now to 3% for the end of this year uh, and to 3.2% uh, 2023. The three-month SORA forecast, which is the new benchmark that's going to be effective for next year, uh, is just slightly lower than that. But it means that, you know, corporates and households in Singapore will have to brace for a very big interest rate. How big? Well, mortgage rates could climb to about 4% by end of this year and near 4.5% by end of next year. That's something we haven't seen in about 20 years. So uh, that's going to put a squeeze on consumer budgets, um, you know, squeeze on cash flow for companies. And I won't be surprised if it cools this uh, you know, property market uh, by next year. Thanks, Habin. We'll move to Joye. Joye, last week, Indonesia's exports um, data the growth and trade surplus, um, how was it? Uh, on a year-to-date basis, um, it has been unusually strong for Indonesia on exports and uh, trade surplus since the beginning of the pandemic. Was it still the case? Is the latest report show the same trend? Good morning, Winston and everyone. Uh, so exports growth in May, uh, the pace softened, rising by 27% from a year ago compared to the 48% pace in April. Uh, and that was mainly due to the three-week ban on palm oil shipments uh, starting the end of April to 23rd of May. Uh, and the export slowdown did result in the trade surplus narrowing uh, to just $2.9 billion compared to the $7.6 billion in April. And that was the lowest uh, trade surplus since January 2022. Uh, palm oil exports uh, plunged from a year ago to just uh, 840 million. Uh, that's less than one third of the $3 billion recorded in the prior two months. Uh, and the government has since uh, reversed its export policy yet again, uh, and now is looking to accelerate palm oil shipments. Uh, but besides palm oil, um, other commodities that continued to drive exports growth in May uh, were coal, uh, which nearly doubled from last year. Uh, nickel and articles climbed to a record high and other contributors to growth were uh, other uh, commodities like copper, 
as well as or Slack and Edge. The Bank Indonesia is having a policy meeting this Thursday. Are they going to hike rate? Yeah, we expect uh, BI to raise its policy rate uh, by 25 bips in the upcoming meeting this Thursday. Uh, domestic demand in Indonesia has risen to well above pre-pandemic levels. Uh, we saw the latest retail sales numbers uh, rising to the highest in three years uh, in May, boosted by the Ramadan and Idol Fitri holidays, as well as healthy consumer confidence. Uh, headline inflation has picked up to 3.6% in May, uh, and real interest rate has turned negative for the first time since 2015. Uh, the interest rate differential against the Fed funds rate has also widened uh, after the Fed's uh, aggressive hike in the past three meetings. Uh, so we are still uh, maintaining our view for BI to hike 75 bips in total for this year. Thanks, Joye. Uh, we'll move to Brian. Um, some updates on Laos. Uh, Brian, you have a report on rising debt default risk for the country. Uh, Laos economic fundamentals and fiscal position really in a very bad positions. Do you think they are going to default? Uh, yeah. Uh, hi, Vincent. Uh, yeah, so yes, they are in a really bad shape. Uh, inflation uh, has surged since the start of the year to 12.8% in May uh, as compared to 6.3% in January. Uh, this is an 18-year high and also the highest in ASEAN, uh, driven by surging fuel prices due to the Russia-Ukraine war and the sharp uh, depreciation, which has uh, pushed up costs of imports necessary to meet most of its consumer needs. Soaring oil prices have uh, forced importers to cut back on fuel purchases. Uh, consequently, there has been widespread fuel shortages that have disrupted economic activity in many industries. Uh, the uh, Lao Kip uh, has been ASEAN's worst performing currency, plunging around uh, 25% against the US dollar since the start of this year. Uh, this has been due to increasing U.S. interest rates as well as uh, tightening external liquidity constraints for Laos, uh, namely high foreign currency demand to pay for imports and debt servicing requirements against scarce foreign currency reserves. The government is heavily indebted compared to regional peers uh, with public debt at 88% of GDP, which is a whopping 20 percentage point increase from 2019. Uh, most of the debt is denominated in US dollars and Thai baht owed to China and Thailand. Uh, foreign reserves are weak at around 1.3 billion USD as of end 2021, enough to cover only around three months of imports. Uh, foreign reserves are also insufficient to cover debt service re repayments of 1.1 billion USD and 1.4 billion USD due in 2022 and 2023. Further depreciation of the Lao Kip will exacerbate uh, debt servicing costs. Uh, however, uh, Laos' uh, fiscal deficit is modest at an estimated 1.4% of GDP last year, reflecting the government's considerable efforts to restrain spending and tamp down deficits. Uh, low fiscal deficits will help uh, put a lid on overall borrowing requirements uh, going forward. Growth prospects are also still mildly favorable. The full border reopening in early May will support some recovery in tourism, while the recently completed uh, Laos-China High-Speed Railway will facilitate FDI uh, inflows. So uh, it's uh, also worth noting that, uh, that um, we do not actually regard uh, default uh, at that default as being imminent uh, because uh, there are, in spite of the high indebtedness and rising default risks, uh, there, are, there are limited upcoming maturities on commercial debt. 
Okay. Do, do they really not have any other financing options? Yeah. So uh, external financing options are limited given uh, Laos speculative sovereign credit rating. Uh, so for instance, Fitch's rating is uh, CCC, which is well below investment grade, reflecting substantial credit risk. Uh, Moody's uh, recently on 14 June 2022 downgraded uh, Laos to um, CAA3 uh, for its own credit rating, which reflects very high credit risk. Uh, but recent history suggests that uh, Laos actually still retains some degree of overseas debt market access. Uh, the government managed to issue a 5 billion Thai baht, or that's 150 million US dollars bond uh, on 31st March to Thai high net worth uh, investors after nearly three years of being shut out. The bond consists of a 1.1 billion Thai baht three-year tranche at 5.8% coupon and a 3.88 billion Thai baht uh, four-year tranche at 6.4% uh, coupon. So these bond proceeds will help uh, Laos to refinance its uh, Thai baht borrowings, which actually make up the bulk of maturing debt this year and thus help uh, mitigate default risks. Uh, Laos debt sustainability going forward is beholden also to bilateral uh, negotiations with major creditors like China, uh, which uh, basically uh, owns, uh, I guess, half of uh, uh, half half of Laos external debt is owed to China. Uh, the risk of debt default could be alleviated if uh, China is willing to provide EUA on Laos debt. Uh, China has provided debt release in the past. Uh, in 2020, Laos had asked China for a debt suspension agreement and the PBOC uh, also swapped uh, yen with, uh, uh, I mean, uh, yen with the Bank of Laos uh, to help uh, boost foreign reserves. Okay, thanks, Brian. Uh, we'll move to Sutai to comment on Singapore rate. Uh, Sutai, in a fast-rising interest rate environment, are Singapore rates going to be the winners or losers and why? Thanks, Vincent, and morning, everyone. So uh, we expect, uh, well, funding cost concerns have uh, gained importance for the Singapore REITs uh, with the Fed's uh, steepening rate hike path. I think the REITs had, in anticipation of the higher rates, pushed up their fixed rate borrowings. Uh, that's to about 73% on average at the end of March, uh, while the gearing for the sector has stayed low. That's at about 37%, uh, significantly below the 50% limit. And also, if we look at interest cover, that's, I think, manageable uh, for five times for the sector on average. So balance sheets-wise, they are strong. But borrowing costs across the sector will likely have bottomed out in the first quarter, now set to rise. So instead of what we initially estimated to go up by about 50 basis points, it's now likely to rise by at least 100 basis points. And this is for their floating rate debt. Uh, we have already applied this to all our models. Uh, when we did this exercise a few weeks back, it resulted in about 1% to 9% cut in terms of our FY22, FY23 DPUs and a corresponding 2 to 8% reduction in terms of our target prices. Uh, the outlook for rates, as we all know, is going to be volatile. And when we look, uh, we took another look at sensitivities for the sector we expect then another 50 basis points increase in terms of funding costs could lower our DPUs further by an average of about 1.6%. This is less for the industrial REITs, so we think their DPUs are better cushioned than for offices and hospitality, uh, mainly because they have in general lower gearing, also in general higher fixed rate borrowings. 
Now, aside from the cost emphasis, then sector fundamentals are improving into the second half. This is driven by stronger leasing momentum, translating into tightening vacancies and then higher rents, which will be accelerating for offices at 12% through next year, followed by retail at 6%, then industrial, which we expect to go up by about 2 to 5%. Now, we are also more optimistic on hospitality. We're projecting 13% to 17% rep park growth. Now, this is without the upside from a China reopening. Capital flows-wise, continuing to favour great A office and logistics properties, and we will see capital recycling picking up pace as the REITs push ahead on the, the divestment programs they have to support acquisition growth opportunities if they arise, and then also DPU upside. Okay, thanks, Sutai. Uh, we'll move to Savvy to comment on Philippines property. Uh, Savvy, you did a study on historical shareholders' return of the sector. Can you share what are the findings? Good morning. I think if we look at the historical shareholder returns, we see that growth, uh, whether you split it via into price earnings and earnings per share or into price to book and book value per share, we see that growth is a bigger driver than multiple expansion. The 20-year annualized total return of the sector was about 17%. 11 to 12% of that can be attributed to growth in EPS and book value per share. Multiple expansion only contributed 3 to 4% and dividend yield only 2%. Uh, splitting it on a per-company basis, we see a similar trend. Um, SM Prime, Ayala Land, Robinson's Land, Mega World delivered annualized total returns of 11 to 18%. EPS growth contributed 6 to 13% of that, and book value per share growth 8 to 9%. So I think it's, it's really uh, reflective of how generally the Philippines, uh, Philippine equities have derated over time, uh, much more, much more pro the property sector, uh, multiple factors. You have the pandemic, um, concerns on the offshore gaming operating sector for property, and then risks relating to rising, the rising interest rate environment. But in general, we've seen the Philippines derate. Uh, the property sector is dragged along that. But what I think is, is uh, encouraging to see is how growth is kind of offsetting the, the derating of the multiple or the negative contribution of the multiple to total returns. Okay, thanks, Savi. Uh, we'll move to cheating on regional plantation. Uh, cheating. On Indonesia lifting of exports ban, um, can you share one, what is the current situation? And second, how has um, this policy affected Malaysia, let's say in terms of inventory exports and prices? Yeah, good morning. Um, so the immediate three weeks after Indonesia lifted the palm oil export on the 23rd of May, exports cannot return to normal due to the reimposition of uh, DMO or domestic market obligation for short, which is a form of our export quota. So domestically, tanks were filling up fast. Indonesia's stockpile was said to be above 7 million ton or about uh, two months of supply. So cognizant of this problem, the Indonesian government introduced a two-pronged strategy. Firstly, it temporarily revised down the export taxes of CPO, RBD palm oil, RBD palm oilin, the three main products uh, to accelerate exports till 31st of July. Uh, for instance, is uh, export taxes were cut to around $488 uh, per ton from previously $575 per ton. However, do bear in mind 
the exporters are still required to meet the DMO, whereby for every five tons of uh, palm oil exported, exporters are required to allocate one ton of palm oil to meet the domestic cooking oil requirements at a discounted price. On the second strategy, for exporters that do not wish or cannot meet the DMO requirements, they can opt to pay an additional special tax of around 200 US dollar per ton. This so-called flush out program runs till 31st July and the government had approved 1.16 million ton of such uh, special permits. With the two, strategi two strategies running concurrently at full steam in the coming weeks, Indonesia is expected to export more than 3 million tons of palm oil to ease the uh, stockpile pressure. Unfortunately, the buildup in uh, palm oil stockpile in Malaysia had pressured domestic CPO prices. Based on the latest publicly available data, Indonesia's CPO price has fallen to around 10,834 uh, rupiah per kg as of 16 June, which is the equivalent of around 3,200 ringgit per ton, its lowest point uh, for 2022, which is about 20% lower than the start of the year. Now, how it impacts Malaysia? Now, the export ban obviously benefited Malaysia. Malaysia's exports for the May, for the month of May, pick up by 7% month on month. And uh, sorry, the, the, the exports for the month of May pick up 27% month on month to 1.36 million tonne. And that actually helped to reduce the uh, uh, stockpile in Malaysia. Uh, but following the lifting of the export ban at the end of May, we expect uh, Malaysia's exports to ease in the month of June, which in turn is likely to result in a pickup in terms of uh, MPOB's uh, inventory. Indonesia is the world's largest producer and exporter of palm oil. With the ban lifted and exports uh, slowly normalizing, Indonesia will regain market share at the expense of Malaysia. And as we highlighted in the past, uh, given the higher availability of palm oil to the rest of the world, uh, CPO price is expected to come under pressure. Uh, and uh, the industry is just about to enter the seasonal peak production cycle in second half. Uh, yeah, so since the lifting of the Indonesia's export ban, uh, prices of CPO has dropped from 7,000 ringgit to just below 5,700 ringgit per ton last Friday, a 19% drop on the Pusa Malaysia derivatives for the immediate month. Barring any weather anomalies, the production of global all seeds in second half is expected to be just uh, to be good as well with uh, spring planting progress in the US going as planned thus far. Hence, we expect prices to be weaker in the second half compared to first half on improving supplies. Uh, we maintain our 5,000 ringgit per ton CPO forecast for 2022. And thanks, Chiting, And thanks, everyone, for joining the call. Have a good week. To get more information, speak to a Maybank trading rep and check out Market Insights on the Maybank Trade app. For more weekly updates, also follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm Noel Lim on Asian Speaks by Maybank. 